Let's bow our heads and just give the Lord thanks once again. Just say, Lord, thank you for understanding. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for insight. Thank you for the opportunity to learn your word. Thank you for the love with which you have called me. Oh, over the last few weeks, some months I've been meditating and I came to a conclusion just a few days ago that I'm not the one that believe. I don't believe anything. It's faith that chose me. Are you getting my point? Say, Lord, thank you because faith chose me. Lord, thank you because faith laid hands on me and faith drew me close. Say, Lord, thank you. Say, Lord, I thank you because your faith, that substance has drawn me. Thank you because you caused me to believe. Thank you because it's not me, it's you. Thank you. Thank you for another time of refreshing, another time of feeding, another time of getting to know you better. Thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. All right, let's declare God's word together. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In our spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work. I am increasing in the knowledge of God. I am applying my ear to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. All right, amen. amen. All right, please, if you have your Bibles, let's commence today from the book of Mark chapter 3. We are looking at the true service of God. And we are continuing from where we stopped last time. Let's, look from, uh, let's read today from the book of Mark chapter 3. Let's start from verse 13, the book of Mark chapter 3 from verse 13. The Bible says concerning the Lord Jesus, And he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. Now before this, of course, we know that many people were following him. He had many disciples at this particular point in time. Disciples are those who are his students, who are learning, all right, following him to learn. From amongst them, the Bible says in verse 14, and he appointed 12 for this particular purpose, so that they would be with him, and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. I want to read that verse 14 and verse 15, all right, those verses again. And he appointed 12, so that he, they would be with him and that he could, he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. That is, those he wanted to send out, he was, go, he was preparing them so they would be able to do two things. I want to just choose one word of the second thing. That they would be able to preach and also to have authority. Please, very important we get um, that point clearly. Okay, I just want to read it from um, the Amplified Bible. There's something I just found out there. In verse 15, he said, He wanted them to have authority and power to heal the sick. You understand? And to drive out demons. Now, what I want to just bring out from here is that when Jesus wanted to start a particular phase of ministry, and he picked people that he was going to use as his ministers, the first thing that he put on the line was that they had to be with him. It was not just that they were available to be sent out, but that they were first with him. Please, I want to explain something very important there. 
when we're talking about the true service of God. The service of God, has, in fact, today I was thinking about it, and then we can look at it in three particular phases. After we are all called, because, of course, all of us are called, and those who answer the call are the people I'm speaking to, all right, and teaching the word of God. After we are all called and we have accepted the call, one of, well, the first thing he does is to set us aside so as to have us trained. And then he can send us out, all right, like we see here, he can send us out to preach, to have authority to do certain things for him in life. There's another phase, all right? Life goes like that in phases. And again, periodically, he will now call them to come back and rest for a while. As we go on, you will see us look at that in those three phases. First, they have to be with him. The period that they are with him, it may appear as if they are resting. The period that they are with him, it will not appear as if they are doing anything. When God called Saul, who we now know as Paul, it was not immediately he disappeared and began to preach. There was a time he set aside in which nobody knew he was there and he was secluded, in which he was getting trained, as it were, for ministry. Now, why am I emphasizing this today? Many times Christians don't get this point. We're talking about the true service of God. Everything you are doing in your life, we've emphasized again, is a service unto the Lord. We read from that Second Corinthians chapter 5, in that verse 15. It said, one died for all, so that those who live will no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Let me just say it again. Everything we are doing in life is as unto the Lord, and is part of the work of God for our lives, if we understand it. That's the issue. Many people don't get the point. If you are sleeping, I said it last night, we laughed about it. But it's actually part of the work that God says you are doing for him. Therefore, you must sleep at the right time. The people make sleep look as if, um, which word do I use now? As if it's a waste of time. No. Sleep is, there's a proper time for everything. A man who claims he's working for God and is not sleeping at the right time is disobeying the order of God for the work he claims to be doing. So we must understand that. So even if it is sleeping, we are sleeping. It's part of the work of God. So I, I began by explaining that people had to be with him. And that because many times Christians don't understand that, they look at that phase of life as if we are not doing anything yet. But I want to say that that early phase of our work with God is actually part of working for him. If you enter into a company or, you know, they employ you, they can spend the first few months giving you training. That's what they do. The first few months, they will say, look, I know you went to school. I know you have a bachelor's in this. You have a master's in this. But we have to let you know how things are done in our company. But when they are training you, you will realize something. They pay you a salary. Don't they pay? They pay. You know why? It's part of your work. That training is part of your work. If you have to travel for the training, they pay you allowances for the journey. All right? If you have to lodge in a hotel, they take charge of all of those things. Even though for somebody who doesn't understand, it will say it will be as if they are putting something into you and yet they are spending money on it. The reason is simply because for you to be able to serve them effectively, you must understand them properly. If you do not understand, if you don't understand them properly, you cannot serve them effectively. So they will spend time, spend the first few weeks, the first few months showing you how work is done around here. It costs them a lot of money. Because it costs them so much, sometimes they have you sign a bond that if you go through our training, you have to work for us for a minimum of this period of time. Now, what I'm going to emphasize here is this. You see that even though they are training you, they are paying you. Why? Because that is part of the work. And that's one thing Christians must get. What I'm saying so is that 
a lot of times people talk as if what is the work of God is the activity that you get involved in that is the work of God. And until that time, you are not working for God. What I want to explain today, again, is for us to understand that the first phase of working for God is so that you might be with him and become like him. You cannot have spiritual authority. Listen to this. You cannot have spiritual authority until you have been with the Lord. Look at that book of Mark chapter 3 again. He appointed 12 so that they will be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority. Like Amplify says, and have power to heal the sick and to drive out demons. The point I want to bring out is that except you have been with him, you cannot have authority to do these things. Except you have been with him, you cannot serve him effectively. Except you have been with him, any work you are doing for him is likely not acceptable unto him. That is what people don't get. You do not enter into a place, all right, and start working without asking them what is the proper procedure for the work that you are going to do here. And that's how it is with Christianity. You don't come to do anything for God until you have been with him. Let me say something. Let's go back to that book of John chapter 4. No, don't bother open to it. I'll just refer to it. In that book of John chapter 6 that we read, we've read a number of times, you will see the people came to the Lord Jesus and said, what must we do that we might walk the works of God? And he said, the work of God is that you believe. Now, please, what I want to bring up from there is this. The first work of God, if you see that in my book, How to Work for God, I explained it inside there. That the first work of God is a work that is done inside. It is never something that you do or you express outwardly. It's something that is done inside you. That is where God starts from. Many people think that once you are doing something for God, it's just okay by him. Let me say to you again, God does not accept it like that. The first thing he wants everybody to do is to understand how, all right, he wants his things done. All right, in, 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 in the nation of Israel, he gave them commandments concerning how to even carry the ark. Not only how to offer sacrifices, but how to carry the ark. If when, it, when it came to the offering of sacrifices, he gave commandments concerning what kind of sacrifice you offered and how. How you burnt incense. Who burnt the incense? You are getting my point? When people don't follow the, that order, they get into trouble. We know the story of Uzzah. Uzzah did what... Hey, let me just read that story of Uzzah. You know, it's a... Because we are doing, we are, we are studying the scriptures, let's read a little bit, you know, let's read a little bit. David wanted to carry the ark. I think I prefer the one in, um, the one in Chronicles. Which one do we read? Second Samuel chapter 6. The one in Chronicles is also nice. You see from verse, um, where do we begin from now? Let me, I, I, let me just, I want to break it somewhere where um, it would be nice for us to bring, be, start it from. Let's just start from verse 1. So now the Bible says, David gathered, that David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Bali, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. He said, they placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, who was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of uh, instruments 
made of fair wood and with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached, reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. Now please notice verse 7. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah. And God struck him down there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. Verse 8. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of God come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Let's stop here. Alright, I just wanted to bring out something. Now, why did I read this? Again, it's a story, I refer to it a lot of times. I just felt like we should read this while we are studying the scriptures. They wanted to carry the ark of God, which is like a good service that people should do for God. It's a very good thing. The whole thing pleased everybody. And listen to this. If you read in verse 13, now if you see, it said, The bearers of the ark had gone, when they had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. I hope you are getting my point here. This looks like a good thing. Alright? In the midst of everything, you know the truth? The Lord was not happy. The Lord was totally displeased with everything that they were doing. They went to pick up the ark. They put it on a cart. God said, no, you don't do like that. But the people did not know. Why didn't they know? They didn't bother to find out. Somebody was leading the oxen. Two men were in charge. And one of them was so zealous. Now, you know what happened? God wanted to show them that what you are doing is not proper. So he caused the oxen to stumble. And the ark almost fell. And Uzzah said, no, this our procedure is good. So let us make sure it works. Can I digress a bit? If you are doing anything in life, and it's going wrong, you have prayed, it is not corrected. Don't put out your hand to steady that which is wrong until you have checked whether everything you are doing is right. Because when God wants to bring forth correction, the major reason why people get injured is when they hinder the correction he wants to express. Let me digress, like I said. We, we will all make mistakes in life. We will. There's, it's not, listen, nobody is powerful enough not to make mistakes. That's why God does not judge people for mistakes. What he judges people for is refusal to accept correction. Let me say that one more time. God does not judge people when they make mistakes. What he judges people for is refusal to accept correction. And do you know why people don't accept correction? They always have an excuse for what they did. You know what God said to Israel? He just, just acknowledge your iniquity. I know the economy is bad. Are you getting my point? That is why you shared stolen money in the office. I mean, your children have to go to school. You understand? Now, you have come to church, and your pastor has said to you, that is very wrong. You should not have, he doesn't even know that you did that. He's just speaking generally, and maybe for you, it turned out to be a word of knowledge. 
as the man is teaching, okay? Now, there's a way you can react in your heart and you say like David, I am sorry. Or you can do like Saul. God, you are aware of how difficult the economy is. Once you start making excuses, the truth is that that is when you are setting yourself up for divine judgment. Until that time, God is very merciful. He is patient. When we stand and start making excuses, you know, know the truth. Excuses are plenty. They are always available. They are are always available. Always available. But God says when you find them, run away from them. Don't use them. Satan's job is to supply excuses. They came to Adam and said, why did you disobey what I told you? He said, it was because of the woman that you gave me. The question was, have you eaten of the tree that I said you should not eat? Are you getting my point? She should have said, yes, I did, and I'm sorry. He said, no, I was sitting here. You said it was not good that I be alone. Then what you brought as help, see the problem she has caused. I was sitting here when she brought it and pushed it down my throat and slammed my jaw. You are getting my point? Of course, you know the rest of the story. I don't want to go over it, all right? What I want to emphasize is the fact that God does not like excuses. Like I said, it's a, it's a digression. The time that God rejected Saul, God did not reject Saul because of that disobedience. That's what I am convinced about. Samuel came to him. Of course, God was in, um, um, Samuel was in his house when the Lord woke him up and said to him, I'm very unhappy that I made Saul king. He said, why? He said, because the man has chosen to disobey me. So Samuel got up and went there to go and accost Saul and said, why did you do this? And instead of Saul to say, yes, I did what was wrong, he got there, and I don't want to go through the whole story, we all know it, he began to make excuses. Uh, it, was the, it was the men that came with me. They just took some of the things. But why didn't you obey God? We did everything God said. Just a few, uh, some few cows, which we want to actually, in all honesty, want to offer unto the Lord thy God. All right? It's just so that God will be happy. We can't just waste everything without offering sacrifices. Samuel went again. But that was not what he said. He said, Samuel, you are taking these things too seriously. All right? Just one of a few cows will not, God won't miss it. After all, he will eventually smell the sweet savour. Are you getting my point? We burn these things unto him. Someone else said, now hear the word of God. He said, because you have rejected the word of the Lord thy God, therefore today he has rejected you from being king. Now, which word did he reject? Most of the times, of course, the, the natural thing is to think that is the word of go and do this. But this is my own conviction. You can argue about it, but this is my conviction. It was that word of correction. That was what led to rejection. Are you getting my point? It was when the man rejected the word of correction. That was what led to his rejection. Because David, yes, did worse things, but when you brought correction to David, he never made excuses. He would say flat, yes, I know this is wrong. All right? Why I did it is secondary to the fact that I did it. It is my responsibility. The people around that, that propelled me, uh, what's her name now? Bathsheba. That did not know that you shouldn't be bathing around the king's palace. All these young girls these days, don't you know the man's body is not made of firewood? Are you getting my point? They are, that's not the issue. You come to David, look at what you have done. David said, I have sinned. When he was going to pray about it in Psalm um, 51, he emphasized that God is only against you that I have sinned. And he repented, and that was why he was not rejected from being king. Not because he never made a mistake. Listen, that's why God said to them, Jeremiah was speaking to the people of Israel. He said, only acknowledge your iniquity. Just accept that what I have done is wrong. I said to you, I'll preach again and again, don't ask school of prayer. 
God doesn't expect anybody to change himself. You can't change yourself. God doesn't expect anybody to change herself. It's not possible. You don't have that strength in yourself to change yourself. It is God that changes people. That's why he said, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creature. We said it last time, that when we say something is in Christ, what that means is that that thing is a result of the sacrifice, uh, sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's never because of what you or me did. It is because of what he did. So if you say, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creature. That means a sinner cannot stop sinning by himself. Otherwise, new creationism would not be in Christ. I don't know whether you're getting my point. The change wouldn't be in Christ. If you are able to, by yourself, change yourself and become a good person, the change is not in Christ. For us to, say, to read the Bible and believe it, when it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, what he's saying is this. The change of individuals is a result of what Jesus did on the cross, not because of their own personal determination. That's why New Year resolution is not a Christian adventure. Are you getting my point? It's not. For, you know, I, I think I stopped doing that in secondary school. I don't think I've done it in the last 30 years. I don't think so. Of course, experience alone teaches us that it's nothing. It makes no meaning. I mean, you know you broke the New Year resolution by the end of the New Year celebration. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. It rhymes. Are you, are you? <laughs> we break the New Year resolutions at the end of New Year celebrations. The truth is that human strength cannot do anything for us. That is a matter of fact. Now, so what, what did God say? He said, no problem. I will do the changing. So what do you do? He said, you acknowledge your iniquity. He said, if we are, he said, we know one thing. If we confess our sins, what does he do? He's faithful and just to forgive and do what? Yes. Cleanse of all unrighteousness. Nobody can determine he will not sin. The kind of gospel I preach, which is the word of God anyway, if you understand it properly, being a Christian is a very easy thing. All the work is done by God. Everything. Everything is done by the Lord. You don't do it yourself. I have a bad habit. I need it to stop. So I have made up my mind. I won't do it again. Go there. You say, tomorrow morning you'll be back. You will be back. How do I stop it? First, I get persuaded it's a wrong habit. I don't know what I get my point. There are people who confess their sins because they've been caught. They can't stop it. If it's just the embarrassment of the, you know, the knowledge. Somebody has found me out. No. It is that you are persuaded yourself that this is wrong. You read the scriptures and say, "Uh this thing is bad. How do I change it? It's simple. I go to God and say, this is my habit. And from from your word, I know it is bad. Therefore, I confess it. And I receive forgiveness. That is the way people change you. There's no seven steps. Okay, you now start doing this. Listen, God will pour his spirit inside you. You will hate the habit yourself. That's how God changes people. The reason why people don't change, the truth is that they are not persuaded. You see, you know, I'm still on my digression. I'll get back to my message. All right? We're talking about Uzzah's death. That's what we're talking about now. That's why we got into all of this. All right? Now, I'm bringing an issue here. Listen, the reason, the main reason people don't change is because they are not fully persuaded. They are not fully persuaded about the wrongness of the issue. You know, you know what the world is doing? Please be very, very careful. You know what the world is doing now? They try to dull people 
to sin. I mean, you, you make you dull it. You dull people's reaction to what is wrong. That is, if you watch TV, you watch, um, um, you listen to this um, homosexual agenda. That's all they are trying to do. Very, very smart. Even when it comes to the use of Indian hemp. When I was a little boy, now, let's talk both socially and medically and everything. Smoking cigarettes is one of the, the, this world's most stupid habits. To smoke a cigarette, you know what they call cigarette? To light a stick and be pulling tobacco into your lungs. By virtue of my natural training, I have, listen, there is not one single known advantage to human beings. Not one. It's just a habit people create. And that habit is addictive. One. Two, the addictive side of it would not have been a problem, except that we also know it is deadly. It is the major reason people, that lung cancers would have been a rare disease if men never smoked. At least 90% of lung cancers we know would never have occurred if men didn't smoke. Are you getting my point? That's cigarettes. Now, beyond cigarettes is what they call wee-wee. Let me call wee -wee. Give me all the names. Indian hemp, cannabis. Give us the more scientific name. Igbo. <laughs> that is the real scientific name. <laughs> Igbo is bad. It's not better than cigarettes. When I was a medical student, I remember one of our textbooks. We read in pharmacology. The man, the book was interesting the way he used to write. So it had some nice stories behind it. So we talked about the quarrel over whether they should, it's not now. I mean, I'm talking about 1989. They were, that's what we're reading in the textbooks on the arguments over whether they should legalize Igbo or not. All right? Cannabis. And the author said that, well, no problem. How, he said they were in a debate and somebody said, all right, you want to legalize smoking of Igbo. How would you like it? You're on a flight. And then um, you hear the announcements that you, you're bothered though. You are sitting down, waiting for the flight to take off. They now say, we're sorry, there will be, there will be like a 10-minute delay because um, our pilot is trying to finish his Igbo. <laughs> what will you do? You pack your bag. <laughs> that, that, that was the point they were making to those who were arguing that it is, it is harmless. Say, so, will you sit on a plane where the pilot is high on weed? Now, why am I saying all of this? In I, want to, I want to get something across to you, all right? So this is what happens. But the world insisted we need to, we need to smoke our Igbo, our weed. So you know what they did? I'm talking about how the devil does things. That's why men can't change. So it's okay. Well, since you not legalize it, they started fighting to have it approved so they can smoke it at the medicinal level. Get up and tell them that you need it for your chronic pain. I know human beings wants you go through that human suffering side. Everybody softens. And listen, you may think Nigerians smoke but we don't. Americans, it's, they are the original Igbo smokers. If you think we know how to smoke. You know, in Nigeria, it's bad boys that smoke Igbo. In America, every, it's an average normal person that smokes Igbo. Whitney Houston used to smoke Igbo in her house. No, 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 it's not, I'm not backbiting her. It was a known fact. She and her husband... The Omo Itaboy, they used to, 
so for them, a lot of people, a lot of people use it. Very, very common. You know, very, very common. For us here, if you, we find you with, you with weed, you are still a bad guy. Now this is what I'm making. You see, so what they did was, they now bring it in, legalize it. So in most of the Western world now, for me, most of those places, recreational use is approved. Medicinal use is approved. One of the first things they did in the United States that some states had what they call, they call it medication. So you, you are not smoking, you are medicating. So they have medicating clinics. So when you want to use your weed, you go there, pay, sit down, and smoke it. You don't tell anybody you are smoking. You say you are medicating. That was a word that was coined. All of this to do just one simple thing. To dull out that it is wrong attitude. So you grow up under that environment. It becomes a matter of, so do you use, do you use weed? No. Okay. Why? Why? I don't like it. So you come to visit your friend. He's puffing weed in your face. And you grow up as saying it is normal. Until you hate what God hates. He can't help you with it. That's what I'm giving, giving that, um, um, what they call it, explanation. That was the only way. So what's happening is that by the time you have two generations, you have a whole generation that grew up thinking it is okay. I said something, was it here like I said last time? Don't let any explanation allow you to legalize what is wrong. Let what is legal or illegal be based on what is wrong. Not like um, if we say it's illegal now, we can't police it. Leave it unpoliced. But let the law book say this is wrong. Because anything you legalize, you are telling the generation after that it's all right. The same thing they did with weed, they did with homosexuality. They first dropped the name. It's not homosexual anymore. It's now what? Gay. All our lives, gay was used for happy. So these are not perverted human beings sexually. They are happy people. They have another way of express, expressing their sexuality. It's difficult to change the mind of any adult that grew up under a particular way. Knowledge of that. So what you do is that you throw it to him that just tolerate it for the next generation. So most people become tolerant of things. And listen, later maybe I'd like, to, I'd like us to go through um, the I'll call it lessons from the seven churches, the letters of the seven churches. The lessons we're supposed to take from it. You will see, one of the things that God judges churches for is what they tolerate. Not what they do alone. There are things they do. He will say, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. You, listen, you don't do what she's doing, but you tolerate it. He said, just leave her. Let's just, we should be able to get along. Our differences shouldn't divide us. So you find churches in Europe and the U.S. that ordain practicing homosexuals as bishops. Some of them are married to their homosexual partners. And if you talk against it, you see, you shouldn't let differences separate us. We should find a place where we can agree. And go and read Revelations, chapters 2 and chapter 3. Chapters 2 and 3. God said, listen, there are things you tolerate. It is the reason why we close your church. That's why many churches are being closed. You see that thing they used to tell us? Um, a talkie was, listen, that's why God closed most of them down and turned them over to Islam. Islam doesn't have any power in itself. It's when God has said, told people, listen, okay, I told you dress decently. You won't dress decently. I'll give you hijab. 
That's what the Lord does. I'm talking about why people don't change. It is simply because they have been persuaded that there's nothing wrong with them. If you will really accept and say, God, this is wrong, and you get on your knees and pray, oh, the Lord, it will work the miracle faster than you realize was possible. My best example all the time is the man Ben Carson. Anger lies in the bosom of a fool. He didn't believe it. Until the day he saw his anger almost ruin his life. There was a time in his anger he almost punched his own mother. But his brother jumped in and caught him. Then one day his brother wasn't there. His friend annoyed him. And he took a knife and sank into the boy's stomach. Except that the boy was wearing a belt that had a large buckle. And that buckle trapped the knife. And the boy was not injured. He realized all of a sudden, this is how my life would have ended. Even if that boy did not die, of course, if the boy died, they would send him to prison for life. If the boy didn't die, at least assault with, with grievous bodily harm, attempted murder. These are charges that will throw you in prison for 15 years. When you come back, there's no Ben Carson. And many Ben Carsons of this life, that's how come you never heard of them. But that experience, God used it to tell him, something's wrong with you. He ran down home and locked himself up and cried before the Lord. By the time he came out from that place, he was humble. He was gentle. Later on, he acquired a reputation and they called him Gentle Ben. One of the reasons why he didn't even go far in this presidential election last time, this, this nomination for the Republican Party, is simply because he said he's too gentle. When he's talking, they, couldn't, they can't hear his voice. Americans were looking for a brash man like <laughs> Donald Trump. But, you see, how did he get to that point? He got to a point in time in his life. He said, oh, this is evil. It will destroy me. Until you say to, to, say to God like that, you are not going to change. Many people could have made the excuse. I want him. He knows I'm hot-tempered. He should not have spoken to me like that. Some people take pride in their bad habits. Yeah, you know, you know they know me, they know I don't take nonsense. Yeah, people take pride in their bad habits. People know me, they know I don't take nonsense. I can't tell anybody, I don't fear anybody. Just if you are not going anywhere in life, just hear them talk. I don't fear anybody. I can tell you anything, even if you're my father's age, it doesn't matter. Just be looking at the little boy bragging. Just know these are destinies that will not manifest. Bragging on bad habits. We all have bad, bad habits, but we don't brag on them. Once we discover one, I say this thing, you hide it, you know what I mean? Not to God, though. That is, <laughs> I don't brag on it. And I pray about it, persuaded that this is wrong. Once we get to that point, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There are many young people, they can't handle money. You give the man 1,000 to hold, he can't return it to you complete. And when you now talk, you say, you know, say money, no, they stay for hand. There are, there are ungodly statements that will turn to truisms. Evil statements. You don't know that the Bible says he that is unfaithful in little will be unfaithful in much. And if you do not, if you are not faithful in the matter of unrighteous mammon, who will give you true riches? 
If you are not faithful in that which belongs to another person, who will, give, who will hand you your own? Those are things you should be saying, not saying that uh, you know money, no, they stay for hand. I hope you're getting my point. It's when you make statements like that that you can't change. Those are the reasons. People start explaining a way they are... Anyway, the Lord is good. I'm sure I'm helping somebody today. If you are being helped, say amen. amen. Okay, not you. If, you are, if I'm helping your neighbor, say amen. <laughs> okay, turn to your neighbor say he's talking about you. <laughs> That's what the <DJ> says. <laughs> the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. So as a matter of fact, God can change us. It's not hard for him. It's just for us to say, like he said to Jeremiah, he said, only acknowledge your iniquity. He said, only acknowledge your iniquity. Anytime you acknowledge your iniquity, believe me, God never has any problem. All right? Changing anybody. All right, the Lord is good. So let's continue reading. Now, that's a digression. Let's not get back to our message. So what are we saying? So what, why did God kill Uzzah? God came in and said, okay, let me correct what is going on. And Uzzah put forth his, ark, his hand to prevent the correction. And that was why God broke out upon him and killed him. And he died there. Now, the main reason why we read that is to let you understand that even though the intention was right, even though the man seemed like a good man, even though it appeared as if he had a zeal for God, David himself said it. He said, we did not seek him after the due order. Let's read that one. I think I like... Um, the, that one is best read from um, Chronicles. All right? I like the way he said it there. It was later on he understood, though. Initially, he was very, very unhappy. That how will God do this kind of a thing? First Chronicles chapter 15. There's a long story there, but let's just see. Um, let's just read from verse um, 11. I'll read verse 1, then jump down. All right, so as to get to 11. Now David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then verse 11, then David called Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asiah, Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, and all the difficult names, all right? (laughs) And in verse 12, he said to them, you are the heads of the fathers' households of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, to the place which I have prepared for it. He said, because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him after the ordinance. If you have a King James there, I like the way he said it. He said, we did not seek him after the due order. There's an ordinance for doing whatever it is you are going to do for God. Are you getting my point? Now, what am I saying all of this? I'm emphasizing that we don't just get up and step out and start jumping around saying that we are working for God if we have not been with him. It's a period of being with him that people learn the ordinance. It's a period that you are with him that you learn what exactly you are supposed to do. Now, there's another thing I want to say concerning that period of being with him. One of my favorite topics that I like to explain to believers is the word Grace. I say it all the time, what is grace? Grace is God's power manifested towards those who believe. 
Grace is the power by which we do whatever it is we are going to do for God. Grace is what God does through us by himself. Yeah, that's another way. God is working through us, is generating activity, is getting results. It's actually him that's working, not our own strength. Paul said, his grace working towards me did not prove vain. Grace is the power to do work. Are you getting my point? Now, anything you achieve in life, but not by the grace of God, does not count with him. You can burn yourself out achieving many things. We have established it before, that the Lord said to those who were building the, um, uh, the tower in Babel, concerning them he spoke, he said, if they agree, they are determined. Not, and they can imagine three things. One, they imagine it. Two, they are in agreement. And then three, they put in their efforts. He said, nothing will be impossible to them. What he didn't tell you is how many will die in the process. <laughs> I don't know whether you're getting my point. Because as a matter of fact, this is how it is. God gives us spiritual energy. Uh, because of time, we're not going to explain all of that in detail. But the truth is that God gave each person a dose of spiritual energy. And he told us as Christians what to do with it. We are supposed to use the spiritual energy he has given us to seek after him. We are supposed to use that energy to pursue aggressively after him. It's the power to seek that he gives to everybody. It's what you seek that's not the difference. Many people get up and seek after material prosperity. Listen, curse or no curse, you can fight. Go and look at what um, Jacob said concerning Esau. That a time will come, Esau will be tired of slavery. And he will shake off the bondage by force. Men can make up their minds that, listen, this poverty, I will end it. They will use all kinds of methods. Spiritual, physical. That's not God's method now, but you know what I'm trying to say. Spiritual powers. I mean, anybody can get into those things and use them. I've explained that before. I'm talking about spiritualism. They will use all of those things. At the end, they will get results. But you see, what happens is that the energy that God gave them, they are using it up. The energy in their souls is being wasted. And when that is wasted... The man is he's successful. He's 50-something. He's a multi-millionaire. He's a billionaire. Made a lot of money. But at 50-something, you know what you find? He's sick. He's married three wives. And the one he has currently is not even his wife. The three, they are, they are gone. I'm talking about he's, he's gone. The last two, are not, he didn't marry them. He has 17 children, in which case, he can't, one will come and say, ah, good morning, daddy. Say, Who's your mother again? You know that kind of thing. <laughs> They are men like that. They'll be asking the children, Who's your, which one of them is your mother? <laughs> have you read the joke? <laughs> I'm sure you have read the joke of a man who, who call, of a woman who called um, a man one day and said that, um, please, so my name is, um, no, he said, please, uh, good afternoon, sir. Is that Chief, uh, let's look for another name. Is that Chief Iroko? He said, yes, I'm the one. He said, who's that? He said, oh, he said, you are the father of one of my children. The man said, ah, who is that? Is that Jane? She said, no. Ah, is that Amina? No. Ngozi? No. Eunice? No. Ah, he said, please, please, sir, sir. You are the, I'm the teacher of one of your children. Your child is in my class. <laughs> Do you get the joke? 
When the man said, when the woman said to her, him, you are the father of one of my children. Ah, the man said, which of these women know? Which one know? He started counting all the names of the girls that could have been, could have had a child for him. And the woman said, sorry, sorry, sorry. I meant that one of the children in my class, you are the father. Ah, oh, 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 praise God. All right, what is the problem? Now, those are the things that happen to people who succeed by their own soul energy. They get tired. Let me tell you something. You can build a church with that same principle. If what you determine in life is that I must be a pastor of a very large church, it's not a problem. There are enough spiritual principles, you know, in quotes, now, not godly principles now, spiritual activities and physical activities to get in until you gather a very large crowd. And they'll be following you, calling you papa. Calling you daddy. You'll be feeling like a lord. It's very possible. But that is always at a cost. Your ability to resist iniquity. I said the energy that God gives us, he said, use it to seek me. When people use that energy to seek other things, the main reason God gave them the energy begins to suffer. Why am I saying all of these things? If we are going to succeed truly in life as believers, what we use is not our energy, but the energy of God. We use the power of what? Grace. What is grace? It means that I'm not succeeding. I'm not getting results in life. I'm not doing the work of God by my own energy. No, I am not doing that. I am only using the energy of God to get what I am doing done. That was what Paul meant when he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He said, his power or his grace working towards me did not prove vain. If you look at it, take James, Peter, John, add them together. They did not do as much, you know, breaking of new ground as I did. He said, but it was not I. It was the grace of God working with me. You know, I found out, you know, you know when you are reading, just assume. Let me ask you a simple question. Everybody, just cross the answer if you know. Who started the church in Rome? The church in Rome, the one written to the Romans. I heard good. Paul, many of us say, the truth is that Paul never went near Rome. By the time he wrote that letter, he had never been to Rome. You just assume that Paul started the church in Rome. Even, I don't worry, it's not only you. It's only recently I found out that it wasn't like that. <laughs> now, on Tuesday, we are starting the church, the church in, um, in Colosse. The man did not go near Colosse. That church there was started by Epaphras. Until we are mentioning it now, most of us did not know some of these facts. Yet, the man had enough influence in those places that when trouble came to the church in Colossae and some of the towns around it, he could write a letter that has become for us now scripture. That's what they call what? Grace. The reference told a story, I've repeated here a number of times. Once he went to New Zealand, only to find out that his messages had been on air in New Zealand. And when he came, they just said, please, sir, you need... They said he will need, he will need to sign some documents. Why? Because they need to incorporate Direct Prince Ministries New Zealand. Why do we need to do that? That people have been writing the radio station. People have been writing. There's a lot of correspondence. So they need to put up a structure to handle it. All they needed from him was signature. Just finish preaching, sign these documents, and go back home. Direct Prince Ministries New Zealand was going on. Direct Prince did not know about it. Then you now hear a man bragging. Say, listen. 
we are broadcasting in this number of stations and talking all kinds of things, you will not know that I mean, maybe you're talking about him. He probably wouldn't do that bragging. I'm talking, look, this man has been aired in about 50 countries, 70 countries, and you're speaking. You will not know that he's only been to two or three of those countries. Kennedy Hagen, all his life, went to only three countries that I'm aware of. Maybe he sneaked into a few others that they didn't tell us. But the only three countries I know he ever went to was one, United States, where he lived and died, traveled to Canada, which is just technically United States, and then South Africa. I'm not aware he went to Europe. He most certainly did not come to Nigeria. You will have known. And if he will have agreed to come to Nigeria, trust Archbishop Benson Idahosa, he will have brought him. The man did not come. Yet, yet, literally, thousands of preachers all over the world. After Jesus, Paul, Kenahagin in their life is next. I'm telling you, you've heard me preach. There's hardly any day this name won't drop. Sometimes I tell stories, even if I don't mention the name, it's a story. That's what they call what? Grace. Please, I need to digress a bit. No, not digress, I just need to bring another point out. Don't even think that only happens with ministry. Don't even think that grace that I've just described, in which uh, they, they, you have Kenneth Hagin in Direct Prince Ministry in New Zealand, he didn't know about it. Until they came there, they just signed some papers. The cost of broadcasting, nobody discussed that with him. So let's not even think it only happens with ministries. Let's not think so. Everything in life, that can happen with it. Are you getting my point? If I say this, you're going to laugh. (laughs) Okay, before I say the thing that will make you laugh, let me make some statements. When the Bible says, you will live in houses you did not build, that statement is real. I was praying for one brother the other day. I said, you will run a company you did not start. Many people are thinking about how they will be the next Dangote. That's good. That's not a bad thing. But there are many people, there are many Dangotes who come together, start the company, and say, listen, come and run this company. He said, the only ch- the, I only accept if you give me 10% of it. And they'll give you 10%. It may look small, but it's not small. Jeff Bezos, at least this week, was declared the third richest man in the world. All right? Jeff Bezos. How many of you have shopped on Amazon? You know about Amazon. All right, that's the founder of Amazon. But he owns, only, he owns less than 20% of Amazon. And based on the shares of Amazon alone, he's the third richest man in the world as of this week. He founded the company. So if somebody dashed the 10%, believe me, it's huge. God will put a, a, you know, a, a kind of, let me use the word, favor, grace upon you. They will say the only way this thing will succeed is that you will be the person in charge. And he said, for me to work on it full time, 10%. At the beginning, they say, everybody signs up. 